Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you all this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the youth pastor here at Christ Community Church, and I'm, I'm glad to be with you this morning as we worship our great God. If you would, be turning in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2, we'll be looking at this morning verses 14 through 23 as we come to the halfway point in Ruth. Now, as you're turning there, the key truth that I'd uh, like us to see in this part of Scripture this morning is this. God works through our hospitality to bless his people and create community. Let me say that again. This is the key truth we'll see this morning. It's this. God works through our hospitality to bless his people and create community. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word and hear that this morning. Again, this is Ruth 2, verses 14 through 23. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Ruth, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, last week we saw Ruth set out to glean in the fields of Israel so that she and Naomi would not starve. Remember, they had come back from Moab after great tragedy. They each had left their, their, uh, lost their husbands. Uh, Naomi had lost not only her husband, but her, her two sons. And as they came back to Israel, Naomi had said, Call me Mara. I, I am bitter. I have seen a, a, an awful turn in the Lord's providence. And last week, though, Ruth realized she needed to do something to provide for them. She needed to go out and glean in the fields so that they could have some food and not starve. And so in God's providence, she wound up gleaning in Boaz's field. And as we saw, Boaz is a worthy and a wise man. And he invited Ruth to keep on gleaning in his field, to keep close to his young women and to keep gleaning there. Boaz acknowledged Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi, and Ruth acknowledged his faithfulness, his kindness to her. And this morning in this text, we see how Boaz's kindness turns not just from generosity in that moment, but it now turns to a type of hospitality that will bless Ruth and Naomi both and draw them into the community of God's people. But before we unpack the text, it's, it's good to start with this question. What comes to your mind when you think about hospitality? What comes to your mind when you think about hospitality? 
Hospitality, it's one of those words that can carry a lot of personal and cultural baggage as an outsider, you know, a mid-Atlantic guy who moved into the South, you know, all the stereotypes of Southern hospitality, they're, they're real, y'all make really good food. Uh, before, I mean, I experienced that personally. Before I even moved to the church, I was talking on the phone with, with Marcus Hood, and he said, you can stay in our basement as long as you need to. And I was like, whoa, that's, uh, that's amazing. I'd never experienced hospitality like that. Um, our church, I think, uh, you know, for me, I think of our church when I think of hospitality. Um, and so maybe for you, you have certain memories or traditions. Um, and for some of us, you know, those are very warm and happy and merry feelings that, that hospitality evokes in us. Other times it drags up, you know, the stress or the pressure. You think of performance and, you know, meeting people's expectations when you think of hospitality. It can pull all sorts of strings for us. But wherever we are personally when we think of hospitality, for all Christians, one of the most important things we should think of is the gospel. When we think of hospitality as Christians, we should think of the gospel. Paul made that connection. We saw it in our Romans series in Romans 15, 7. Paul says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The gospel is the good news of God welcoming us as his people. He has shared what he has. He has sent his own son to bring us in among his people. And that's hospitality, sharing what we have to bring others into our life. And so even as in Christ God has welcomed us into his life, into his home, at his table, so as Christians do we then as believers in the gospel, we share what we have to invite others into our lives, into our homes, around our tables, all for their good and our joy and the glory of God. And the second half of Ruth 2, it helps us see hospitality at work in the life of God's people. And so as we explore this, we'll listen for three motifs in this part of the story. The first will be hospitality, and then connected to that, we'll also look for blessing and community. And we'll see how these things work together in God's providence. So let's turn to the text and look at hospitality. Remember, last week we saw that what made Boaz a worthy man was that he went above and beyond the bare minimum of the law in allowing Ruth to, to glean in his field. He was making sure that she would have access to plenty. And he embodied, therefore, the love of God and neighbor that the, the law is always intended to train God's people in. And now we see that his generosity is, is turning into the realm of deeper hospitality, as you, as you look at verse 14, it notes it's mealtime. So imagine the scene for Ruth and for everyone else there. It's hot outside. They've already put in a half day's labor. Everyone's been laboring for hours in the field, and now it's time for lunch. And so perhaps the workers of the field, they're huddling together in little groups. They're breaking out what food they have. Jokes and stories are bandying about. People are cutting up. They're having fun together as they sit, in, sit down and dig into their meal. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what about Ruth? You know, she's in the field because she and Naomi are in deep need. They don't have enough food, so she may not even have a lunch, and if she has anything, it's probably very minimal. And then on top of that, where is she supposed to sit? She's a Moabite. She doesn't belong among their people. She won't get the references. She won't get the jokes. She probably doesn't speak the language as well as they do. Um, or if, at the very least, she would have an accent, and, and she might not catch all the nuances and everything. So where does she go? Where does she belong now? And so maybe you've had a similar experience. You know, you've been doing a common activity with a large group, but inside you're like, I don't want lunch or the break to come because then it's like, well, the activity ends, and what do I do? Where do I fit? And that's what's going on with Ruth. You can imagine she may have experienced dread and awkwardness. And when that happens, the best thing that can happen to you is for someone to take notice. 
and invite you in. And that's exactly what Boaz does. He takes notice of Ruth and he invites her in. He shows her remarkable hospitality and draws her closer, not only to himself, but to everybody there. And let's look more closely at his hospitality. Notice first that his hospitality is personal. Boaz speaks directly to Ruth. He doesn't send one of his servants and says, hey, you know, tell her to come over here. He says to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine, verse 14. And notice too where she sits. She sits beside the reapers. He's bringing her in among them. This is a personal invitation. Come and be with us. Boaz knows that hospitality is always about people before it's about food. He is drawing Ruth in among himself and his people as they, as they celebrate the Lord's provision with this meal. Now, at the same time, hospitality is still about food. And so Boaz's hospitality is not only personal, but it's also abundant. He provides Ruth with enough food for her to eat until she's satisfied. And he gives her from every aspect of his meal. He shares his bread and the wine and the roasted, and the roasted grain. And so there's no part of the meal that is off limits to her. And it's not just like Boaz doles out just the bare minimum so she can you know, scrape by with a few crumbs. He makes sure she can eat until she is full. And she has some left over. That, that comes into play later. And so his hospitality is abundant. He is generous with what he shares with her so that she can know the joy of having her needs met in abundance by someone who sees her as a person. And then after the meal, we also see that Boaz's hospitality is not only personal, it's not only abundant, it's also ongoing. Boaz takes steps to make sure that this would not be Ruth's last good meal. And uh, back in verse 9, he had told her that she could uh, glean in his field, that he had told his young men, do not touch her, let her be, she is welcome here. And now he further instructs his young men not to reproach or to rebuke Ruth. He's telling them, you may not bother her or harm her in any way, not verbally or physically. She is welcome here. And he tells his young men to let Ruth glean even among the sheaves. Now that's significant because the law commanded Israelites to let uh, foreigners, to let sojourners, to let widows and orphans glean after the reapers. And that's what Ruth asked earlier. She said, let me follow after the reapers and pick up what they miss, what they leave behind. But now Boaz is saying she can glean in his field without qualification. She has full access to glean even among the sheaves, essentially alongside the reapers. She doesn't just have to follow behind them. She can go and get some of the best of the crops. And that's why he's telling them, don't rebuke her. I have told her she can do this great thing. And also, he tells them, take out of your bundles and place it on the ground so she can pick it up. So he's saying, the labors that you've already done, share what you've gathered with her. And so this is a double provision for Ruth. She has further access to the field and Boaz's workers are to share what they've already gathered uh, with Ruth. And so in that way, Boaz is providing for her. He's also giving his servants an opportunity to participate in the hospitality. His hospitality spreads and brings others into that activity as they care for Ruth. That's significant. And so as all of those things work together, Boaz's personal, abundant, and ongoing hospitality allows him to make sure that Ruth has enough, to make sure that what she has is of good quality, and that she can have her needs met in a way that honors her dignity and value as a woman made in the image of God. 
And so all because of Boaz's hospitality, Ruth is able in one day to glean an ephah of barley. Now, often when we read the measurements in the Bible, we think, I have no idea what an ephah is. Like, what, what's going on here? Well, that was somewhere probably around 20 to 30 pounds of barley. And that's after she threshes it out, after she gets rid of the stuff that you couldn't eat. And so 20 to 30 pounds of barley, that's gonna last Ruth and Naomi a couple weeks, if not maybe a whole month, in one day's labor. That was only possible because of Boaz's hospitality to her. And so in the, all these ways, his hospitality becomes a blessing, both to Ruth and through her, to Naomi as well. And the theme of blessing, it emerges in verse 18. After uh, Ruth um, uh, threshes out the, the barley and she brings it back to Naomi, Naomi recognizes right away that something remarkable has taken place. She recognizes that the only way Ruth could have gathered that much barley would have been for someone to have shown great kindness and favor to her. There was no way if Ruth was just picking up the leftovers that she could have gathered that much. And so before Ruth can tell her where she was working, Naomi is already announcing a blessing upon the man who showed her such favor, who took notice of her. And notice in the drama of, of the narrative. In verse 19, the last word to appear in the sentence is Boaz. Ruth is building suspense. She says, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And upon learning that it is Boaz who has shown Ruth such favor and kindness, then Naomi launches into a second blessing upon him. She says, blessed, or may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And so Naomi here, she's praising the Lord for his kindness, which has not forsaken her, the living or the dead, her, her husband who, who, is, who is deceased. And this is a key turning point for Naomi because remember how she comes back to Bethlehem. She comes back and she says, I am bitter. The Lord has, has not shown me kindness, but he has brought calamity upon me. Verse 21 of chapter one. But now she's experiencing and tasting and seeing the Lord's goodness and kindness again. She's seen God's kindness has not failed. She is indeed Naomi. The Lord has been sweet to her. He's been sweet to her through Ruth and through Boaz, uh, sharing what he has with Ruth and then Ruth bringing that home to Naomi. And that word she uses, kindness, is a very important word in the Bible. We, ought, we need to do a brief, deep dive into it. The Hebrew word is hesed. It's one of the most significant words in the entire Old Testament. It's often translated as kindness, as it is here in verse 20. Sometimes it's translated as loving kindness and often as steadfast love. Think Exodus 34, six through seven, when it talks about the steadfast love of the, word, of the Lord, that's the same word. This word refers to God's loyal and faithful love to his covenant people. In the Bible, kindness is a very robust thing. It is the relational devotion that keeps a covenant going. A covenant without God's hesed, without his kindness, would be a bare legal contract. But hesed, kindness, is the relational glue. It's the loving energy of a covenant relationship. And God demonstrates his kindness to his people by drawing near to them in his presence, by redeeming us, by showering us with undeserved goodness. That is the Lord's kindness. And his kindness is always meant to transform his people, to bring them up into his grace so that then we might show similar kindness to those in our spheres of influence. That is the pattern of the Abrahamic covenant. Remember, God draws Abraham near to himself and says, I will bless you so that you may become a blessing to the nations. And we see that that is always the way God works by his kindness. 
He makes a covenant relationship with his people. He shows us his kindness and he transforms us that he would use us as instruments of his kindness all throughout our lives in this world. And so in that way, God tends to manifest his kindness to his people in a cascading way. What I mean is so often he shows his kindness to one person and then out from them, his kindness flows in many directions and to many people in many different ways. Notice, again, look back at verse 20 with me. There's actually a little bit of ambiguity to Naomi's blessing. Whose kindness is she talking about? When she says, whose kindness has, uh, has not forsaken the living or the dead? Is she talking about Boaz or the Lord? And the answer is both. She's talking about the Lord's kindness to her through Boaz. Because that's how God often brings his kindness. It's, he brings it to his people through his people. Boaz's kindness is inseparable from God's kindness. He's an instrument of God's kindness to Naomi and to Ruth. And that is how God tends to bless us. He blesses his people through his people. In fact, Paul in the New Testament, he describes a very similar thing in 2 Corinthians 8 through 9. This is where Paul famously talks about becoming cheerful givers. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 12. And as I read this, think about the connections to what we're seeing in Ruth 2. Paul writes, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Now Paul there was describing the Corinthians taking up an offering to care for other Christians in need in that time, but notice how what he says there describes exactly what's happening in Ruth 2. God supplied seed and harvest for Boaz. And remember, that was key because there had been a famine and yet the Lord was faithful to his people. There is barley, there is grain again in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And God's provision to Boaz then spills out as Boaz cheerfully gives to Ruth, he's providing for her and for Naomi. And God's kindness does not forsake the living and the dead. And all of that then, Naomi turns, she receives this, and she gives thanksgiving to God. She glorifies the Lord. She recognizes it's not just Boaz being a nice guy. It's Boaz being a servant of the Lord and an instrument of God's kindness to her that's taking place here. And so this is the cascading cycle of God's kindness among his people. God provides to some and through them then provides to other. And in all of this, God is glorified, both by our generosity, if we're on the giving end, and our thanksgiving if we're on the receiving end. God is glorified and his people experience his kindness. And so this is what we mean when we say that God works through our hospitality to bless his people. So often the answer to God's prayers or our prayers to God will come through God's people. We will experience the answers to our prayers very often amongst one another as God's church. That is very normal in the life of God's people and we see it beautifully displayed and Ruth too. And yet the amazing thing is that not only does God work through Boaz's hospitality to bless Naomi and Ruth, to provide for them through his kindness, but he also then uses Boaz's hospitality to create deeper and more lasting community for Naomi and Ruth. Now, as we think about community, it's important to remember that the biblical definition of blessed is to be in God's presence. 
Blessing is not just an abstract material thing. Like, yeah, you can use it as a hashtag. You can put it as a bumper sticker or a vanity plate on your car. But blessing is not material. It's personal. It's relational. To be blessed is to be in God's presence as his people. And God's will is to be present with his people, which means the place we're most likely to experience the riches of blessings from God is with his people because that's where his presence is most known. And so we see that here. That God's blessings, they don't just come to Ruth and Naomi as like this little individually wrapped package, but it's more like a feast that the whole community will gather around and celebrate together. At the end of verse 20, we start to see signs of Naomi and Ruth being folded further in to the community of God's people. Notice in verse 20, when Naomi excitedly explains the significance of Boaz to Ruth, where she says, look, this isn't any ordinary man. This man is significant for us She says that Boaz is a close relative and redeemer, but not just that, a close relative and redeemer of ours. She could have said, he's my close relative and my redeemer, but she says he's a close relative and redeemer of ours. She is honoring what Ruth had said earlier, your people will be my people. Naomi sees Ruth as her daughter-in-law in the fullest sense. Ruth and Naomi belong together. Ruth has a place in this family, and Boaz is now her close relative and her redeemer. And that word redeemer, we'll see that unpacked in in further weeks as we explore Ruth, but it is a very specific role in uh, in Israelite society. The redeemer would have been a man who could uh, do certain things to help family members in need. In particular, if a family member had hit dire straits and they had sold themselves into slavery, the redeemer could buy back their freedom. Or, as in the case with Elimelech, Naomi's husband, if someone had sold their land in order to try to, to, to scrape by in a time of poverty, the redeemer could buy the land back and restore it to the one who had sold it. And so that's going to be key for Ruth and Naomi later on, that, they, that Boaz is a man who can take action to give them a more lasting place in the community, a more lasting route of provision, that they wouldn't just be gleaning in other people's fields, but they could have their land restored to them. But even before that can happen, we see then in verse 21 how God is using Boaz's hospitality to draw Ruth and Naomi even closer. Look at some of the other finely crafted clues in the text that show how much Ruth is coming to belong. Not only does Naomi say, this is our close relative and our redeemer, but also look at how Ruth is described when she tells Naomi about Boaz's invitation. The narrative says in verse 21, and Ruth the Moabite said, And then she says, you know, he said that I can keep close to his young men. But then when Naomi responds in verse 22, look at how Ruth is described. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law. Remember, Cameron's reminded us that the way Ruth is described is very significant. At the end of chapter one, she's described as Ruth the Moabite, Naomi's daughter-in-law. But here those things are starting to be uh, separated. And what's being emphasized is not Ruth's background as a Moabite, but Ruth's status as Naomi's daughter-in-law. This is who she is. She, again, belongs here among God's people. She is in great covenant language, language of kindness and loyalty. She said, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, and Naomi is treating Ruth that way. She's seen it. And that shift in the way the narrative describes Ruth, it also gives an opportunity to highlight Naomi's care for Ruth and Ruth's belonging in the community. You may have noticed, perhaps it was in her excitement, but for whatever reason, Ruth actually misquotes Boaz's instructions. 
She says that he told her to keep close to, her, uh, to his young men. But actually, if you look back in verse 8, Boaz said, keep close to my young women. And so for whatever reason, maybe she's excited, but Ruth, Ruth says the wrong thing there. And Naomi doesn't miss that. If Naomi only cared about having her, her uh, you know, material needs met, perhaps she wouldn't have bothered to, to think about the significance of that. But she cares about Ruth's well-being and safety. Remember, it would have been dangerous for Ruth as a Moabite to go out in the fields of Israel. This is the time of the judges when all are doing what is right in their own eyes. And so she would have been at great risk going out on her own among the fields of Israel uh, where, where people could have, have mistreated her in any variety of ways. And so Naomi says, no, 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 it is good for you to stick close by his young women. And that is actually exactly what Boaz had said. And so Naomi is paying attention to what will be best for Ruth as she is an instrument of God's provision. What will be for her most, uh, you know, her, her greatest safety and well-being in the long run. And this also shows how deeply she is being folded into the community. Because if Ruth, this Moabite who has now come into Israel, if she is allowed to labor alongside Boaz's young women, that means there's not going to be a distinction between here are the Israelite young women and here is Ruth. No, she is welcome to work with them. She is now invited into the community to labor with them because she belongs. She is not just Ruth the Moabite. She is Ruth, the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And she has been blessed through Boaz's hospitality and she has been folded into the community of God's people. And so in all these things, we see that God so often works in very ordinary ways through the hospitality of his people to do very significant things, to bring blessing and to create community where it wasn't before. And as we think about those three things, hospitality and blessing and community, think about how they come together for us in Christ. Jesus is the one who invites us to come to him and be fully satisfied. When we are weary and we are run down, he bids us to come and to find rest in him. Not just to tune out and chill for a few minutes and veg out, but to find rest, soul and heart satisfying rest in him. When we are thirsty for meaning and purpose, he says, come and drink of the waters of life that I give and you will never thirst again. And when we are hungry, he tells us to come and feast upon him because he is the bread of life. And there's a reason that to illustrate and, and emphasize that point in every one of Jesus's food miracles, what happens? The disciples pick up baskets of leftovers. That's not a wasted detail. It shows that in an even greater way than Boaz shows generous hospitality to Ruth, Jesus shows generous hospitality. He lavishes his grace upon us. You are not just picking up the little crumbs of God's grace in your life in Christ. You are invited fully in to feast upon his goodness. He has held nothing back from us. And so Jesus, even more than Boaz, shows us great and abundant and personal and ongoing hospitality because of his love for us. And therefore, Christ's hospitality to us, it's the true way to blessing in life. He is the embodiment of God's loving kindness to us. Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. He draws near to us and he takes notice of us. There's a, a beautiful connection between Luke 1, our assurance of pardon this morning, and Ruth 2. What we read of in our assurance of pardon was Gabriel coming to Mary and saying, greetings, O favored one. In other words, the Lord's taken notice of you in a special way. Well, what did Boaz do with Ruth? He took notice of her. He showed her favor in a special and gracious way to bless her. 
And in a, in, a, in a fuller way then, as God takes notice upon Mary and he blesses her, he is bringing his son into the world. Well, why? Because he's taken notice upon us, his people, in our need. He sees us in all our aches and pains of sin and misery and weariness in this world, and he draws near to bring kindness, not critique, to bring grace, not grumbling. He comes in great hospitality and great blessing to us in Jesus and as we are blessed in Christ, then his kindness cascades out from us, that we get to be a blessing of him to others in this world. It's the, the tidings of comfort and joy. They keep coming to us and then out from us to others. And all of that is how Christ forms the community of his church. He draws near to us in hospitality, he blesses us, and he binds us together as a people united in him. That's a good thing for us to hold on to. It means we don't have to find superficial similarities or common interests. We don't have to like the same shows or the same books or all these other ways we tend to try to just find some common ground. We stand together in Christ. There's no firmer foundation for community. And because Christ himself draws us together, regardless of any differences we have, we have a place to belong. If you're going throughout the week and you're like, I just feel like I belong nowhere in this world, you belong here. Yes, the seats are not the comfiest you probably sit in throughout the week, but you belong here. Your face matters. Um, I, can't, you know, I can't necessarily notice if you're not here every time I'm up on the stage, but someone is going to know that you weren't here because you belong here. You're one of God's people. You matter to him, and you matter to us. And so what that means for us is we think about Christ working to build up the community of his people is that often the first place we should look for experiences of God's blessing is here among his people. And likewise, we shouldn't be surprised that when we feel distant from the Lord, it might be because we've isolated ourselves from his people, we've cut ourselves off. We just pass through or we don't come at all. Well, this is where the Lord promises to be with his people as we gather in his name to worship him on his day. And sometimes though, it can really be hard to see how God is blessing us and giving us a place to belong among his people. Sometimes, we overlook it because of how ordinary it is. It just, you know, you get used to it and the rhythm just becomes, you know, white noise to you. Other times, we wind up isolating ourselves maybe through boredom. You know, you go from just, it's ordinary to you get bored with it, you don't see the point, or through criticism. You know, something doesn't, doesn't sit well with you and rather than, than leaning into community and working it out, you start to pull back and elevate yourself through critique. Or other times, you know, you're carrying wounds. You feel like, I can't bring that into this place. That would mess it up. But either way, sometimes we, we pull back. and We don't see it. And yet the path then to re recovering our sense of God's goodness in the community of his people is through gratitude and thanksgiving. Dietrich Bonhoeffer speaks to this very, very beautifully in his classic book, Life Together. Listen to what he says. Because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we entered into common life with them, we enter into that common life, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. If we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if, on the contrary, we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, 
then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. Those are, those are words worth reflecting on. And I, I share them not because I think that in NCCC uh, there are no discoverable riches but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty. I think there, if you think about our church, there is much to give thanks for. There is much to celebrate. Do you see it? Do you see it? As Bonhoeffer reminds us, community is a reality that God brings us into by his grace and through our union with Christ. And so we don't demand it, he says, but we receive it with thanksgiving. We must cultivate and steward our Christian community, our life as a church, through hospitality. Do we know each other enough to say, I know that you have this need and I, here's, I can share what I have with you and I can draw you near. We don't create that community, but we receive it and we care for it through our hospitality. And when we receive those things, we don't need to feel embarrassed or, or, or bashful. You know, as Christmas comes, if somebody gives you a gift and you're like, I did not give you anything, you know, usually you feel, you know, obliged to, to return the favor and you're like, I got to run out and go find something. But that's not how hospitality is supposed to work. Remember, God is glorified both through the one giving and through the one who receives and gives thanks, not just to the, the instrument of giving, but to the Lord who gave through that person. And so we need not feel awkward about receiving as the church. That's what we're here for. And so Thanksgiving is really uh, the holiday of Thanksgiving. This is the perfect time of year to put this into practice. It's a perfect time to reflect on the ways God is working through hospitality to bless you and draw you into the community of his people. And so this week, I urge you, take time to consider this question. Are you growing in thankfulness for the ways God blesses you and draws you into the community of his people? And I use the word growing there uh, on purpose um, because you could let your gratitude be like, yeah, you know, I'm thankful for our church and uh, our small group, and then you just kind of move on. But if that's, you know, get, get specific, lean into it, grow, be particular about the things you praise God and give thanks for, um, because that is when it really touches down and, and gets into your heart. And one of the beautiful things about the community that God formed among Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi that we can, we can reflect on is the fact that they're all coming out of very difficult and, and different circumstances. And yet it's not despite those, but in the presence of those circumstances that they experience the blessings of God and, and the community of his people. You know, one example is, it's, it's very significant that Naomi, Ruth, and even Boaz are all single at this point in the story. Naomi and Ruth are widowed at different stages in life. The text never mentions a wife or children for Boaz. So we don't know his backstory, if he had a family before or if he, you know, is, is a bachelor just later in life. But either way, all of them are, are single at this point in the story. And that's important because uh, marriage is good, and it's good and proper for Christians to want to be married. But scripture in Ruth 2 shows, marriage is not the only path to hospitality and to blessing and to community for Christians. And so if you're single and you want to be married someday, you are not waiting for your life to begin. Like Ruth, you already belong here among God's people right here, right now. And like Ruth, you have gifts, you have contributions, you have wisdom and character that are deeply valuable in the life of God's people. And at the same time, if, if you're more like Naomi, if perhaps you, you had been married, uh, but, but you're no, no longer married, your life is not over. You too belong among God's people. You have gifts and contributions and wisdom and encouragement that God's people need, especially those of us in younger generations. If like Naomi, you're, you're a widow or you're a widower, you, you have purpose here and we need you. We need your wisdom. You belong among God's people. 
And what that shows us then is that, you know, we know later on Ruth will get married in the story, and Boaz will marry her, of course. But it shows that even now, before that happens, the story's not revolving around marriage as a center of gravity. The story's revolving around the community of God's people, where people in all different circumstances come together and experience the blessing of God's kindness and even share that with one another. And on the other hand, if, if you are married, I encourage you, keep your heart diligently and let the regular practice of thanksgiving keep your heart softened by God's goodness to you and to your spouse and to your kids if you have them. Um, don't waste the days with a family that you do have by wishing for the family of your idealized expectations and dreams that you will never have. The Lord has given you your family and your family is not yours, my family is not mine, to fashion according to our own expectations and demands. Remember what Bonhoeffer says, we receive it not to be demanders, but thankful recipients. And that means we receive all the mess, all the bumps, not uh, because God just likes to inconvenience us, because it's in those places that we get to experience his grace and his goodness. And that can raise a ton of questions, because there can be some really big bumps and really dashed dreams in life, and that's hard. But the amazing thing to see is it's not over. The Lord continues to be good. And so use Thanksgiving this season to train your heart in gratitude to see God's goodness to you through and among his people. And as you do that, I also encourage you ask this. What steps can you take to grow in giving and receiving hospitality? Because our capacity to give hospitality, it ebbs and it flows in life. There are going to be some seasons where you, you are, are abundantly provided for by the Lord. And you can share much. And there are other seasons uh, where, where things kind of draw tight and, and you don't have the margin or the bandwidth to share much anything. You're just wondering, like, how are we going to make it this month? That is no circumstances. And it's when we come together, when we have abundance and when we have need, it's when we come together that we experience God's blessing to our community. And if you're wondering, like, well, where do I start with that? You know, a good, a good indicator of you need to lean into the community to receive hospitality is if you're struggling in some way. Um, and, and if you're struggling, I encourage you just ask, does anyone in this room know? Like, do they know what's going on in your life? And, and if it feels hard, I know that sometimes, you know, just getting that conversation started, it can feel like, you know, you have to climb this great wall or jump this great chasm. So hear me say from the front, if there is a way we can serve you, um, this, is, this is an invitation to, to seek us out. We, we have our shepherding elders to try to, to keep up with one another. But if you feel like you're being overlooked, um, I'm, I'm sorry that's happening, but we want to, as your church family, see you and care for you. And so let's, let's draw near and let's see how God can be good in the midst of whatever it is you may be struggling with. And if on the other hand, if you find yourself, you kind of feel bored or restless, or you're just like, I'm just cruising, I don't really know what I should be doing, that's a good sign that maybe you're in a position to give hospitality to be an instrument of God's kindness in somebody's life, to share what you have and to be the source of blessing to them. But together we are the church and no circumstance cuts us off from God's blessing or the community of his people if we are united together in Christ. Amen? Amen. What joy it is then, as we get to hear about all of these things, we also get to witness a baptism this morning. Because in witnessing this baptism, we, we get to see one very specific way God has been on the move to bring blessing and to grow the community of his church. So I'm going to invite Sam Wilson to come forward. Sam is a, uh, a student in our youth group. He's been in the youth group since sixth grade. He's now a senior. Um, and so it's a uh, great joy 
for me to be able to, to baptize Sam today. Sam's coming to receive baptism by way of profession of faith. And so what that means is he has met with the elders. I believe Paul was one of them. Um, and they have heard his profession of faith. They've heard Sam uh, bear testimony to the Lord's work, to the Lord's grace and goodness in his life. And so Sam will make profession of faith. He will uh, answer the membership vows. There will be one vow I ask you, the congregation, his church family as well. But before we do that, let's, let's ponder and consider that baptism is a sign and seal of God's covenant of grace. What that means is that it is something that, that shows in a visible way the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Consider how the water, which will be poured out upon sand, that's the mode of his baptism, that poured out water symbolizes the blood of Jesus, which he poured out generously to wipe away all of our sins. And it symbolizes, too, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father and Son together pour out upon all of God's people, giving you a new heart, filling you with faith, and binding you to Jesus. And so, as we witness this baptism, let us take time, too, to consider the meaning of our own baptisms. Your baptism means that the Lord has called you his own. Your baptism means you are blessed in Christ because he's drawn near to you. Your baptism means you belong here among God's people. And so may we improve our own baptisms this morning by repenting of our sins, if we've been clinging to them, and by clinging closer to Christ, who has redeemed us by his grace. Um, Sam, before I ask you the questions, too, I just want to say to you personally, um, I think there's great beauty in the call to worship this morning, Psalm 71, which says that from my youth, Lord, you've taught me of your goodness. Um, Sam, from your youth, you've been among God's people. There is great significance, too, that your grandfather and grandmother are here, who have known the Lord's goodness in their life. So you've grown up among God's people and you've experienced these things. And there's so much goodness you've yet to even see, even in your past. And as you look back with thanksgiving, I pray that you will see how God has been good to you. Your baptism is not something you are doing. It's something you're receiving. And in a world where it can feel confusing, you can wonder, who am I? This is the Lord saying, you are mine. You are my son in Christ. And when your heart sometimes feels that you are not enough, and you don't measure up, your baptism speaks to you. You have been blessed by Christ, who is enough. His blood has wiped away all your sin. His grace fills you with all of the Lord's goodness that you might have true joy. You belong to him. And so, let me ask you the questions, and you can respond by saying yes, and then I'll turn and ask the congregation their questions. Sam, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope except through his sovereign mercy? Yes. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Yes. Do you resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ? Yes. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to strive for its purity and peace? Yes. All right, then. Let me turn to you, the Congregation of Christ Community Church. In receiving Sam as a member of the Christ Community Church family, do you commit to help him grow in Trinitarian worship and missional love of his neighbors through the means of grace and relational encouragement and accountability? Do you? Yes. Amen. All right, well, let me pray and ask the Lord's blessing, and then, Sam, I will baptize you. Uh, our great Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you, Lord, that you 
uh, do great works in very ordinary ways in our lives. We thank you for this ordinary means of grace that by uh, the, the water that we poured out upon Sam's head, you depict for us the gospel. You depict the fact, Lord Jesus, that your blood was shed to take away Sam's sin and that, Holy Spirit, you've been poured out upon him to even pour the love of the Father into his heart, that he might know who he is. He is your redeemed and beloved child. And Lord, I ask that therefore, Holy Spirit, you would make his baptism effectual all his days, that you would use it in times of sorrow to bring comfort and joy, that you would use it in times of temptation to bring strength and perseverance, that you would use it in times of failure to bring grace and hope, that you would hold him fast, and that he too, with the psalmist, would be able to say, from my youth, Lord, you have taught me who you are, and that, Lord, he would have the great joy of telling another generation, even several generations, of what you have done in his life, and that you would use him mightily for your glory. Bless us as we witness his baptism. May we as Sam's church family be instruments of your kindness to him, be instruments of your community to him, that he would know he belongs here with us, um, because we all belong to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.